Hello, sports fans, and welcome again to another episode of Books and the Biz. I'm here with my good friend, Dan Paulson. Dan, how are you doing? I am great, Rich. I'm in the festive mood today. After all, it is between the holidays here. It's between Christmas and New Year's, so we are going to have a good old time. We'll see if anyone's actually working this week. How's that? If not, they're going to catch us on the replay afterwards. There you go. It's a test. It's a test. It's a so test. Everybody should, everybody should know that this is a test. And if you weren't watching, you missed the test. Wait till you get the quiz. Wait till you get the, the quiz. The quiz is coming at the end. So uh, since this is a between holidays kind of week, and hopefully we can have a little bit of fun, but I know we in advance kind of put out a, um, a bunch of requests for people to put in their questions because this did. episode, this holiday special episode is um, your business questions answered. So I know we got a bunch of different things from a bunch of different areas, but we also posted to people that we were putting Dan on the hot seat. <laughs> just, <laughs> just like we did a little while ago with me on the tax hot seat. You know, Dan's on the biz side of the of the hot seat here. So uh, how do you want to proceed, Dan? You want to just jump in and ask some questions? Let's jump right in. Play uh, stump the the host, co-host. How's that? <laughs> stump the ops guy. Stump the ops guy. <laughs> here we go. All right. I'm ready when you are. And I'm trying to get it to cooperate here. Uh-oh. Let's go. There we go. All right. Technology is wonderful when it works. So, Dan, <laughs> Dave D. wants to know, if we're in a recession, is it going to get easier to hire? <laughs> That's a great question that we've actually addressed a couple times, I think. Um, the answer might be best saying it depends. I could be saying it depends to a lot of these things because you know certain situations <laughs> are going to uh, have different outcomes, but uh, overall, I would say no. In, we're in a weird situation right now. Uh, with everything that's going on, the one thing that hasn't lessened up is unemployment. We still are seeing very low unemployment numbers, and everyone I'm talking with is still struggling to try and find help to fill key positions. What's more interesting is skilled positions. So let's say you're a, a doctor. We've talked about dentists a lot. You're a dentist. Uh, you're a construction worker. Uh, any sort of trade labor is going to be very difficult to fill. Uh, there's just not enough people out there and not enough people trained in those skilled positions. So we're seeing that across the board. Everyone I'm talking with is trying to find creative ways to hire people. And of course, here in Midwest, I think we've talked about that Midwest nice. You know, we don't want to upset our, our friendly competitors by taking their employees away. But I'm seeing less and less of that now. It's kind of like, how do I get people in the door? And the second part is, how do I keep them? Because it's getting so difficult to find find the people. And it seems to be a, a revolving door of, of people going in and out. Now, when it comes to frontline staff, I think that has eased up a little bit. So what we would typically call unskilled labor, uh, you know, for restaurants, uh, entry-level positions in retail, things like that. I think you are seeing uh, some ease, if you will, where it's a little bit easier to find help, but everywhere I know is still struggling. And it's mainly, again, going back to that revolving door situation. We're seeing a lot of people come in and go out 
employees have the upper hand right now. They have the freedom to move around as they see fit. And that definitely means that as an employer, you have to be on top of your game to make sure you keep people around. So did that answer the question, Rich? It was kind of, it depends, but uh, I think for the most part, we're in a situation where we are not going to see a major improvement. And from what I've researched for decades for for finding help, yeah. we're going to be shorthanded yeah, for a while. I think, I think you've definitely answered it. I think you're 100% right. It's, the, the question is basically, you know, a short-term question. You know, if I'm in a recession, recessions don't necessarily last forever. So it's a short-term, you know, action or a short-term question. So the long-term, I think you're 100% right. This is something we've been talking about for a while. Well, typically, though, in, in a recession, you tend to see the labor market free up a little bit more. Now, there might be less jobs available. A lot of times there's more people available through layoffs. And we just, even with the layoffs we're seeing, we're just not seeing large group of people freeing up to the yeah. marketplace. And that's that's yeah. where I think a lot of companies are getting frustrated. They're seeing all the signs saying that, you know, we should be seeing more help materialize, but they just aren't there. And, and different than other situations like this, they're not, you know, they're more willing to move. You know, take us back to 2008 and people were just happy to have a job. They plucked their butt in their seat because they didn't want the the outcome of, of getting, you know, either getting fired or laid off. We just are not seeing that this time. We're seeing employees and it's a new generation that they're more than willing to take the risk to leave and go somewhere else. And in most cases, they've got the opportunity to do so. Do we got another one? We do. Yeah, figure this out. All right, out so here. Brent. Huh? I said, I got to figure this thing out here. Technology is <laughs> me up. I hear you. <laughs> All right. So uh, Brenda S. says, you know, what can we do to find talent? Well, let's see. What's the context from what Brenda S. was saying? So so they're having a difficult time hiring people. Um, this is a client. Uh, they've been posting ads. They've been using the different job sites out there, and they're having trouble people applying, you know, getting getting people in the door, getting solid applications. And that, again, kind of ties to the problem we talked about with the first question, that finding talent is difficult, even with the, the new channels. You know, back in back in our day, Rich, we had something called a newspaper. And you would look <laughs> through this thing called the want ads and you would circle the ones that you wanted to apply to. And then you would mail in, get this, mail in a paper resume and hopefully somebody would call you back. Nowadays, it's a completely different story. I'd, I'd say 99% of it's electronic. I don't know of a lot of people that get a, a paper resume anymore. Um, so everything's all online. Everything looks very vanilla, very bland. And, you know, people just start, aren't applying the same way that, that they did in the past. Uh, but at the same point, it's easy for, you know, your message to get lost amongst all the other applications because you can post on several sites. There's Indeed, um, there's ZipRecruiter, you can post on LinkedIn. I believe you can even post jobs on Facebook, maybe even Pinterest and Twitter and all the other places, at least post links to it. You have it on your website. So keep in mind for, in the past, you have one place to go to get information. And now you have multiple places. So it's really easy for your job placement to get lost somewhere. 
And you're going to have to be more creative because employees are looking for something other than a list of tasks to do at a salary tied to those lists of tasks. That is why we're seeing a lot of turnover we are because we have now two generations. We have the millennials and we have Gen Zs. And I think there's a third generation that's coming up. And I don't know, is that Gen A or whatever? I can't keep track of all of them. They, they just keep changing every so often. Frustrating. Just get used to one, they change it to another. Uh, but these generations have been coached up by their parents in, in different ways, which, you know, most of them need more, more handholding. Um, I guess a better way to say it is more coaching. They're looking for feedback. They're also looking for opportunity. And right now, the perception is that you pick a job, you work at a job for a while, you do the task, then you use that experience to get you to your next position. We haven't built a system that rewards loyalty or people sticking around. And I completely understand why, because in most cases, people are, you know, business owners haven't been that loyal to their employees. If the economy changes, first thing they do is lay people off. If somebody's not performing to their level, instead of coaching them or helping them along, helping them improve their skills, we're often quick to fire. And sometimes that's okay. If it's not a right fit, you definitely have to make those choices. However, if you are going to hire people and keep people, you have to become the employer of choice. You have to market yourself better. You have to create a culture that people actually would enjoy participating in. And if you are able to do that, you will be highly successful. You'll have no problem finding people. The problem most of us have right now is we're still stuck in 20th century mentality on leadership, on hiring, on firing, and we just haven't progressed enough to where we're able to keep this new level of talent that's out there. So the first thing I would tell Brenda to do is approach your hiring like you would approach finding a new client. Who's your ideal, in this case, employee instead of customer? What skills do they have? What personality do they have? What likes and dislikes do they have? Um, you know, there, another part of this that I, I don't think is tied to this question, but it's something you need to consider is, you know, there, there's people that live in big cities. Like, Rich, where you live, you're only a few minutes away as the crow flies from New York City, most mm-hmm. densely populated city in the U.S., I live in rural Wisconsin. I can throw a rock across my yard and not even get it into the neighbor's yard. There's there's a lot difference as far as population density. If you're in a more rural area, you have fewer people to choose from. That's another issue. So you have to create an environment where you're attracting people that are going to want to fit in that area. You know, for example, out here, hunting, fishing, outdoors, um, anything where you know you have people that that don't want to be in a densely populated area. Uh, They seek entertainment that isn't through the theater or, you know, things that you would typically find in urban settings. They'll be more attracted to someplace out here. And there are people that are like that, just as there are people that want to live in the big city, that enjoy the urban hustle, that are going to gravitate to there, and they're going to look for amenities that are going to support them. So you really have to look at you know what amenities does, does your community offer and where can you attract those people from. If you're not considering those issues, if you're not building your marketing plan towards hiring around those issues, it's going to be very difficult to find people. It's also going to take longer to find people. 
as we discussed in some of the early earlier questions. There's just not that many people out there. So you're going to have to work that much harder and have a marketing employment plan, just like you would have a marketing plan to find new customers. Process doesn't change. Um, I think the I think my takeaway from what you just said, though, is definitely it's the it's the creativity. It's the creativity of the quote unquote hunt for an employee. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It's a it's a it's a new world. It's a, it's a new challenge. And it's going to be a challenge for a while. So as I tell people, get used to it. You can whine all you want. It's not going to change. So make a difference. We got <laughs> um, another one. OK. Yeah, we yeah, do. We definitely do. So Dan B says, why is it so difficult to keep help? And the commentary on that was essentially that uh, employees seem to be ready to leave at a moment's notice. That is, yeah, that is definitely the case. Most people are looking for their next opportunity at their current one. And that goes back to something I, I said a few minutes ago with one of the other questions. Uh, we have conditioned people that loyalty doesn't exist, doesn't exist for them, so it doesn't exist for you. And their next opportunity is where they're going to grow in their career and, and their talent. So many employees do not see you the employer as the one that's going to teach them everything they need to know to build their skills, um, provide them with everything they need to do to uh, you know, grow their career, and they really don't see any upward mobility, even if you are a larger company that does provide some, some career track. I see a lot of companies out there that it's still, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it here for a year or two years. I'm then going to take that experience. I'm going to go somewhere else. And they're going to teach me the next phase of that career. I'm going to get a different title. I'm going to get more money. And, and on they go. We need to change that thought process. And it, it's a little more difficult in smaller companies. In some cases, you do have a limited upward trajectory. Then again, like the, I said with the marketing, you have to figure out a way to market to your people better and provide them more support, more leadership than you would typically do. Now, that more leadership comes in the form of coaching and career development and actually having a career path measured out for that person so that they can see where there are opportunities in the business. And those opportunities are in line with, with what the company needs and also what the employee wants. Is this going to happen 100% of the time? Definitely not. And if you want to keep people, you're going to have to find those people that, that again, value your business, your culture, where they live, and Ultimately, they want to stick around. They want to stay where they're at. Do you have an idea of the the balance between how many people are just out for the dollar versus out for the loyalty of the company? I'm sure there's I mean, there's probably a survey out there that, that has covered that. Okay. Um, if you look at job satisfaction, this has not changed in decades. It's typically... About 60 to 70% of employees are dissatisfied or disengaged. Engagement is a lot of times what they use. Actively disengaged, actively um, dissatisfied with, with their job. Um, so 60 to 70% are dissatisfied. And then of that, there's a, a percentage that are actively dissatisfied, meaning they're already looking for their next opportunity. Uh, okay. People are still... Less so now, because we talked about people are more willing. I mean, I don't know about you, but a lot of resumes I see, 
you know, in the old days, it used to be three or four jobs on there. There's usually 10 plus years at each job. And that was about it. Well, you know, in the last 30 years or so, you've seen from being a one to two page resume to being a three to four page resume. And most of that listing different jobs, different positions they had, most of them being one to two years apart. There was a time in my life where if somebody saw that, they'd say job hopper and the resume would get tossed to the side. Not so much anymore. Uh, so I think the prevailing culture to your to answer your question is really about looking for that next opportunity somewhere else instead of here. So there's a lot of um, there's a lot of communication that needs to go on from the time before you hire somebody to when you actually place them in a position to when you onboard them to how you follow up with them and. I think you talked about this actually on another podcast we did where when you were brought in for accounting, you were pretty much parked in a seat and it was kind of trial by fire. And I think you said, you know, every year the population dwindled and after about year four of going through the the training process, you were one of the few left that was sticking around. And that's been the prevailing, you know, mindset with business cultures. I'm just going to pluck you in the seat. And you'll either survive or you won't. And if you don't, you're going to quit and go somewhere else. And then I got to hire some somebody to replace you. Companies yeah. are now finding that's that's much harder to do. No, and I definitely did say that. I definitely did remember that was the culture when I was, you know, starting out third, almost thirty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Fun times. Just aged myself. Yes, I think we both have aged ourselves talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, Dan. So, Rachel L., we've increased salaries three times the last year and are still having trouble hiring and keeping people. So what should we be paying people? I think the stronger question here is you need to be asking what else is missing. Uh while wages are important, the number one reason people usually leave a job has little to do with wages, has more to do with how they're treated. So when I hear something like this, where you have people that are saying, well, we keep raising our, our pay and we still have high turnover. That to me is you're trying to fix the problem with the wrong solution. Now, does that mean you can pay people on the cheap and expect to get by with it? Absolutely not. I do believe you have to pay fair wages, and ideally, uh, you should be kind of at the, the upper end of the pay scale out there when it comes to, to what you're, you're paying people. It's only fair if they're doing a great job for you. That's what you should do. But when they're leaving, they're leaving typically because of somebody else. And that could be, unfortunately, Mr. Business Owner or Miss Business Owner. It could be you. Uh, it could be your leadership team. It could be how people are treated overall. It could be the the workplace culture. Is it is it you know a sweatshop? Is it something where you're just expected to grind, 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 and and there's no care for your own personal needs? Those are are items that really start to surface when you start looking at high turnover. And while people say I, I just can't afford to pay people more money, or I you know, I keep giving raises, but it doesn't seem to help. That's the thing you got to look at is what you're doing, fitting the needs of your internal customers, which are your employees. 
And if you don't see that happening, then that's the first place I look is what do we need to change about your culture? What do we need to change about you as a leader or your leadership team to get them to be more appealing to the staff that's walking out on a daily basis? I think that makes complete sense. Um, and then I also think that it is a great segue being how you answered that question. It is a great segue into the next question. <laughs> What's the next question? <laughs> Which is, how do we know if we have a good workplace culture? So <laughs> since you were asking her about culture, how do they know if they have a good culture or not? <laughs> well, I, I think in a way I kind of answered that with the last one, I guess. Um, I would say <laughs> the easiest way, the easiest way to know if you if your workplace culture probably needs a little help is the degree of turnover that you have and the reasons for that turnover. Um, now that said, that's not a hundred percent guarantee because I've seen some employees, again, depending upon how much they're paid, where they're living and what's going on that might actually stick out a bad job to, to, you know, stay where they're at because going anywhere else would either require a lot of travel or would require a pretty deep pay cut. So it's kind of like they've, they bought them into servitude to to keep them there. Now that is getting harder and harder to do because people are more willing to travel farther uh, just to, to get away from that. Then the next thing to look at is what's your ability to attract new people in? So turnovers one, attractions another. Are you having people coming to you looking for opportunities to work for you? In other words, they would be excited to, to be employed by you. And we're seeing fewer and fewer companies that are really that way. There are some companies that just based on status or title, somebody will work there for a couple of years, get that on their resume, go somewhere else. So here's where the turnover and the attraction come into play. If you see both of those things being bad, that to me says there's a lot of work to do on a workplace culture side of things. Um, when I was at Land's Ed many, 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 many years ago, they were employer of choice. They were in a part of the of the state where you know there wasn't a lot of really good paying jobs. They, they were the primary hire for the county, so they would draw from all the surrounding communities to to bring people in. And there were people that would just work very hard to move from flexible part time to permanent part time to eventually full time with benefits. Um, and permanent part time had benefits too. So. You saw people that would, would go out of their way to work here for, for what they could get. Um, that's also changed over time. But I've seen other, other businesses pick up that slap, slack. So you see you know, Epic Systems, for example. I think we've talked about Epic maybe on some of our other, other podcasts. They are now a very large employer, again, in, in the state of Wisconsin. And many people strive to work there. Great benefits, uh, upward mobility, fast-growing company, lots of opportunity. So you tend to see see these things kind of ebb and flow. But yeah, you really have to look at how many people are coming into your door and how many people are walking out your door and at what ratio. If there's more people wanting to get in than get out, that's a good sign. That's usually a sign of a positive workplace culture. If it's the opposite, not so much. And if you can't get people in and people are racing to get out the door, then you really have to ask yourself, what are you doing and what do you need to change? What else we got? Okay. 
Does it make sense to automate? It says we've been unable to fill key positions for our manufacturing company in the last 24 months. Does it make sense to automate? Here's another uh, it depends question. And I think the it depends part is how easy is it to fill positions? And what's the what do those positions do? Do they, you know, is there some part of the manufacturing process that would make more sense to put a machine in place? Be it safety, be it quality, be it consistency. That's that's all the factor. Uh, the reason I say it depends is, as you know, automation can be very expensive. It's a major capital expenditure. And even when you put that machine in, you have to have somebody who knows how to fix that machine if it breaks, how to maintain that machine so it stays running properly, um, how to load product into that machine to make sure it does the job correctly. So while you can still automate and that might help ease some of the people burden, if you will. It's still a challenge because now in most cases, you're going to need to find somebody who has a higher aptitude, who is more skilled and at a higher pay to keep that machine working as it should. I don't know. What do you see on your end, Rich? I mean, th this is kind of a, a combination thing. It's not just operations. It's also financial. I'm sure you, yeah. you've been in situations where you've got to make a choice to, you know, what to do with whether it's higher or whether it's uh Put a piece of equipment in place. Yeah, I think I think the answer from my end is is still a bit of it depends, but I think my it depends is probably a little less than something that has a, a much bigger implementation cost. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at it from the accounting or the financial planning side of it within your organization, you know. Automation makes almost total sense at this point mm -hmm. to do as much as possible to not get yourself into the, you know, I'll call it the quagmire of, <laughs> you know, accountants have a specific problem. Accountants have a specific problem of not having enough people in the pool. So, you know, that is actually becoming a bigger and bigger problem and people are recognizing it. So one of the ways that you can, you know, address that is exactly what, you know, Jeff is asking, should we automate? And the fact of the matter becomes, you know, my immediate reaction to the question is yes, which um, what degree, I don't know, but my immediate answer is yes, because I know that long-term there's a longer or bigger problem because you're not gonna fix it by automating something real small right now. You're gonna need to do whatever you can and keep automating and keep finding ways to do it better, faster. You know, your back office is going to suffer if you don't do something to automate. And I, I've come across a number of clients now that, you know, one of the first things I've said is you have to automate. And they're looking at me like you, you met us for 10 minutes. And I'm like, <laughs> yep, because, because it's that prevalent now for the back office to be as automated as possible. Well, it is back again to quality, consistency, um, you know, there's usually a lot of pushback in certain communities because they feel automation takes jobs away from people. And as I address, you know, you, you still have to have somebody run that equipment, maintain that equipment, make yeah. sure it's working properly, which usually is a higher paid, more skilled position, which also is more desirable. I mean, techs right now, hiring a service tech, for example, I'm, I'm working with a client on trying to find that. And 
they just aren't out there. There just are not that many people. So even though you, again, are looking at automating for equipment, you still have to have somebody that is capable of making sure that equipment stays running. So, yeah, everything you're saying, very true. It often makes more sense to automate. The question is, again, a lot of times comes down to cost. And that's kind of why I threw you in it, because you got to figure out how to how to make sure you can pay for that equipment and make sure that equipment can produce enough pieces fast enough and remain running long enough so that you can offset what the capital expenditure is going to be. Because that machine's there day, night, weekends, the whole bit. And that's wonderful. It should be able to produce all that time. But if it doesn't, it now gets really expensive when that stuff shuts out. All right, let's go. What else we got? All right, let's Emily. Emily S., how can we grow on a limited budget? And basically what she's saying is, you know, large companies have more resources, money, staff, et cetera, than they do. So they're finding it very hard to compete. So how can they grow their business when they don't have the same budget as their larger competitors? That is a great question. It is also, uh, it's a question that has an easy answer, but a difficult implementation. How do you like that, Rich? Uh, the easy answer is you have to compete on something other than cost, other than price. If you're just competing on salary, in most cases, you'll never win because there's always going to be a bigger company that has more resources that might be willing to pay that talent even more and, and maybe even provide more benefits. You know, it, it's not just what you're getting paid anymore. It's you know, do you provide health insurance? And most of us might not think that's a big deal, but when you're a small company, something like health insurance can be a very big cost to your on top of your salaries. So now you you've increased your payroll costs significantly just by adding adding that in, and, and people are finding creative ways to try and work around that. But to me, it goes back to you really need to work on how you differentiate yourself from those big companies because let's face it. Those companies will attract certain groups of people, but they will also deter other groups. There are people that don't want to be a number and uh, just a cog in the machine. They want to do something that's more meaningful, that's more purposeful. And I always tell tell my clients, you know, the, the things you got to consider is people want to feel valued, they want to feel heard, they want to feel like they belong, and they want to know their purpose or they want to have purpose with what they do. If you can answer those questions, often the pay issue, again, you need to pay fairly and you should try and pay well, but that becomes a back burner item because they'll get so much more out of what they're doing that they're willing to, to give up something else to, to do that. And I can share an example with me personally. And this was back in my uh, workaday career when I was at one company that was paying me pretty decent. But I was working extremely hard and I was pretty much in a job that was that I didn't see a lot of positive benefit to. Let's just say that the culture wasn't the right fit for me. I came across another opportunity and that opportunity meant I had to take a 50 percent pay cut in my salary. Now, some people would say you shouldn't have to do that given experience, whatnot. But what the job offered me, what the new job offered me, was greater opportunity to learn more skills, to advance my my knowledge, to give me more freedom to do things I wanted to do, and give me a purpose where I could actually make an impact in what I was doing. And that's why I think it is missing with a lot of 
of companies, a lot of leaders, and even you know from HR standpoint, when they're looking to fill positions, they need to look at, at how they fulfill the purpose of that individual candidate that's walking in the door. What's going to get them excited to show up at work every day? What's going to get them to go out there and do the little bit extra to make a difference in their job? And what's going to give them the opportunity to advance their career even further, whether it's with you or whether it's with somebody else? This is just a, another example of, you know, if you keep throwing money at it, it eventually is going to get to a point where you can't do that anymore. And even the bigger companies, I think they find they reach a certain point where the name is no longer attractive to work for and, and people will will go somewhere else for other opportunities. So they might see high turnover. They're big, so they've got recognition that always helps, but it's not the end all be all. And you need to, again, differentiate what makes you unique, what makes you more desirable for somebody to work for you versus just going in, doing tasks and, and having a job because that's not exciting to people. Okay. I think that kind of correlates to what we've been saying all along, that it becomes a unique, becomes a unique thing that you have to get around the dollars and cents. But I have one other kind of follow-up question kind of to add sure. to that. Do you, do you see... Um, do you see any correlation between um, the salary struggle and the revenue of the company? And, I, and that sounds like a far out question because it's kind of a far out question in my head. That's why I'm asking it. So if the company is unique enough that it's better than its competitors and it can go out there and actually increase its sales, then it should have no problem coming up with some extra money to pay for the staff that it wants to be able to be that differentiator. So is there a correlation that we should mention that from the dollars and cents, you know, if you're struggling to pay the people and be competitive with the big guy, are you not able to actually compete at the top level with the big guy? And is there something else that, that you need to kind of, by making that correlation, is there something to change in how you're actually marketing the company or growing the company? Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll kind of repeat it back to make sure I understand where you're going. Uh, so a business might, you know, they're looking to grow. They need to hire somebody to to help with that growth and through hiring that person that that will lead to stronger sales or stronger revenue. However, maybe right now they don't have that money yet. And then the trick is how do you hire that individual? Where do you come up with the cash to pay that person? Is that kind of what you're, you're asking? To, to a certain extent. Yeah. I had a, I had a client that, you know, was hiring some of the best people. So they had to come up with the best dollars but then their sales were coming up short and nobody was putting the two pieces together. Ah. We have all these great people and we want to keep them, but we can't afford them because our marketing is out the window. Um, mm. So is there, is there more to this that someone like Emily should be looking at? Is it not just, you know, why is it, I think she made the comment, no, it was somebody else in one of the questions had made a comment that they've paid people and given them raises like constantly over right. the course of the year. So it's like if you're giving them raises to keep them, are you keeping up? Like, are they really, is the company producing enough to be able to handle what you're paying? 
That's a good question. And, and I, I do have a, a company where we've, we've been having that discussion because their competitors are offering more money um, and technically at a lower rate than, than what this, this company is offering. So there can be this kind of lopsidedness and we could go into a very lengthy discussion because now this becomes more than, than just how much do I pay my people? It's, it's, is what I'm doing meaningful to my customer to the point where the customer is not going to look elsewhere for, for something that maybe they can get for less money. Um, you know, I, I guess the situation that I'm looking at the, the person's dealing with a competitor that, that comes out of the venture capital world. So the venture capital company, of course, has all the monetary resources and they're playing this game of, uh, you know, we're, we're going to go in and we're going to take over the market. The way we're going to do that is we're going to undercut prices and we're going to pay more for the labor to, to get the job done. And you go, wow, that's, that's going to be difficult to some, in some ways to compete against because if they've got unending resources and they can come in and they can kind of trample all over me and, and trample all over the market, that's going to lead to a bigger issue of how do I keep the people I got? Because if they see they're making more money over there, are they going to jump ship? Are they going to leave? And then what do I do if, okay, in order for me to be viable, I have to charge this rate, but they're charging a rate that's you know multiple percentage points less than that. And as we've been talking about that, one thing that we focused on was making sure not only is the internal workplace culture the right culture, but also are you communicating your benefits and your strengths and your differences to your customers to make sure they understand what they're getting with you versus somebody else? Because, for example, the, the VC company is coming in. They've gone back to kind of the automation question. They've gone to, to pretty much full automation with everything. And you go, well, wow, that, that's great. Should make the job easier. They're using technology to do that. Well, yeah, but then when you have a problem, who do you get a hold of? Oh, there's nobody to call? Well, you got to uh, type an email to, to the help desk and they might get back to you within 48 hours. Well, that's not good, especially if you have an immediate need. So there's always opportunities to differentiate yourself in the market. The problem we run into is we tend to look like for like when it comes to how we explain what we do. And, and we're pretty vanilla about how we do it. Don't get me wrong. I, I've I've even had ran into this problem for myself for what I do. And, and Rich, I'm sure you, you run into it too, because there's a lot of other CFOs out there. Well, what makes you unique? And that's what we all struggle with and, and what we all have to find out. A lot of times that's where it's helpful to bring in somebody from the outside who's maybe not so ingrained in the business that they can look at and see where those opportunities are at, where, you know, when you're in the weeds, when you're, when you're seeing your world, it can sometimes be blinding to, to know what makes you unique compared to somebody else. So in a long way around to answering this question, um, you know, it really comes down to, are your people doing the job they're supposed to be doing? Have you, have you provided them with all the correct resources? And then on top of that, are you being proactive enough to look at how you're unique in your own, in your own market, in your own industry? And if you do these things, you should run into a situation where you can pay those people, you know the revenue is going to be there and things are going to grow. And I think that's where we would both agree. You need to have your KPIs in place. You need to monitor consistently and frequently so that way you don't get in a situation where you're in an upside down bubble 
and you're spending more than you're bringing in. And now all of a sudden you have to take drastic measures to get back on track. Um, the other situation you're going to run into is if you look at, at you know, like two uh, waves that are out of sync. When you hire somebody, you typically need them before you have the revenue to support them. Right. So as you grow, there's going to be situations where you need to bring somebody in to get to that next stage of growth. If you don't do that, you're going to kind of flatline and be where you're at. You might even lose revenue on top of it. The problem is what it's going to cost to bring that person is, is probably more than you want to spend because you don't always have the revenue to support it. So now you have to hire that person. You have to get them up to speed as quickly as possible. You have to make sure they stick and, and make sure they're doing the right things so that revenue catches back up and then the revenue exceeds what their, their capabilities are and the process repeats itself. And it isn't until you get to you know, a large, large company where now you have more resources set aside to do that. But that's also right. a sign that as you're growing, you need to set aside. You can't just take all that money out of the business. You need to set aside that money for future growth as well. It comes back to uh, one of our previous podcasts where we were talking about, you know, cash on hand and, and capital mm -hmm. expenditures and all that good stuff. Yeah. And it sounds like these are all great points and probably will add to new podcasts that are coming up. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, we, we definitely have more things to talk about, don't we? <laughs> 100, 100 things, yeah. Easy, 100 things. Um, but in this case, we have one more question. You got time for it, Dan? Yeah, let's do it. All right. One last question from Wendy B. Are there technologies to increase efficiency? Are there Technologies or techniques? Oh, I have techniques. techniques. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. I blew it. The bad eyes that I have. Ah, that's okay. Uh, I'm I'm somewhat familiar with this one too. I think this was either one of my clients or, or one of my connections through uh, the various networks I have. Um, but when they asked about this, there was a little bit more detail. And it was, uh, you know, what can we do to figure out how, if we're more efficient or how we can become more efficient? And they were looking for some low-cost, no-cost ways to do this. Um, what I find is most companies, as they continue to grow and mature, they build systems to support issues that pop up. So you have an employee problem, you have maybe a work problem, and on the fly, you do a quick fix. That quick fix now becomes the new habit or the new procedure you use, and over time, I liken it to, you know, if you had a, a leaky tire and you had some duct tape and you had some glue, you know, you'd slap duct tape to patch that hole. And then it gets another leak and slap another piece of duct tape on it. And then over time, pretty much the whole thing's, you know, wrapped in duct tape and glue and, and you're wondering what you started with in the first place. In most cases, you can find, you know, anywhere from 15 to 20% efficiency improvements in virtually any process you have. The trick is you got to know what you're doing in that process to find where the redundancies are at, where the stops are at, and and how to you know basically see if the processes you're implementing are actually value added or not. And what you tend to find is a lot of processes were put in place to solve one small problem that rarely, if ever, repeats itself again. Instead of figuring out how to proactively deal with it and make sure it, it does never occur again. Here's a simple tool that I found that that works pretty well. And all you need are duct tapes and, uh, not duct tape, excuse me. You need uh, post-it notes and some pens and a clean wall that those post-it notes will stick to. 
So I'm sure you've done like process flow, Rich. You've done a, a, a procedure chart or a, a yep. workflow chart, anything like Very that? Much. Okay. So here's a way to create a workflow chart in real time and then find out where where things are going. So you take the post-it note, you write the task on the post-it note or the decision tree on the post-it note, and then you put it up in order. Now, the reason you use post-it notes is because, as you know, we are not always linear thinkers. So as you're sitting there brainstorming, you're thinking of the big the big steps or the big procedures to do, but you got to break those procedures down into smaller chunks. You also might forget something. Well, if, if you just wrote it down on a sheet of paper, all of a sudden the sheet of paper is a complete mess. And you're trying to keep track of where you're writing all this stuff in. Well, with, with this, you just write on a post-it note, you slide everything over, you put the post-it note in where, where it belongs and you put everything back. It still can be a big mess, don't get me wrong, because you're gonna have post-it notes everywhere. Uh, but what I found is that's a real easy and cheap way to, to kind of map out your process flow. And then you put it in a flow chart. And then you look at it visually and say, well, why are we doing this step three or four times over the course of several days? In yeah. fact, there was one company I did this process with. Once we got it figured out, we shaved almost, I think it was almost three days off of their bidding cycle. So they would get a bid in through their network and it would take them almost a week to get that, that bid back out. Well, now they were getting bids out anywhere between two to three days. So it was a big difference in, in their workflow and, and saving time and, and eliminating redundancy. It's a tricky process. It's very simple, but you got you to gotta understand how that flow is. But if you can get you know, the key people together, that's an easy way to work through process flow and, and get more efficient with what you're doing. Um, you know, other techniques to get more efficient are you have individual employees write down what they're doing throughout the course of the day and how they're spending their time. Now, what you will find here is you will often find that emails, meetings suck up tons of time, complete wastes of time in most cases. <laughs> How many times have you heard employees say, well, this could have been handled in an email? Well, that's wonderful, but then you get 200 emails. Do you actually read the emails you get? So getting your meetings more effective, every meeting should have a start time and end time should have an outcome and should have a timekeeper to make sure you're staying on task along with an agenda. How many meetings do you go into where there's really no agenda and it's just kind of a big think tank and you get to the end and it's like, well, we didn't really make any decisions, so we'll have to push it into another meeting. I went to uh, one of the places I worked at. I would joke about, you know, we schedule meetings to have more meetings to schedule meetings to have more meetings and no decisions were ever made because the ultimate end to the conversation every time was, well, we'll have to schedule a meeting to actually come to a decision on. So it just perpetuated more time in, in meetings, which can get pretty frustrating, pretty tiresome. So by having people write down what they're doing with their tasks, how much time they're spending in meetings, how much time they're spending on emails, how much time they're spending getting interrupted. So are there people coming in and throughout the course of their work and getting in the way of what they're doing? Because once you stop what you're doing, and change a process and then come back to it. They say it takes about five minutes to get back into focus on what you were working on before. Well, if you keep getting interrupted, it could take an entire day to do a project that should only take you a half hour to an hour. So with that said, you really have to look at how you do your work, document it down and see if you are being most efficient with what you're doing. And I have a, actually have a worksheet that you can use for that. So if somebody would like to use it, 
please let me know. That sounds great. You should send me that. <laughs> <laughs> I can do that. I can um, do that. Yeah, we I, just to mirror that. I mean, I've seen that countless times where I've come in and it's just, you know, meeting after meeting. And then the, the, the bigger issue I always seem to run into is not only do you have these meetings, but then half the company is in the meeting. Yes. And, you know, and you're only dealing with a company that's 25 people and half of them are in one meeting. You're sitting there saying, you have to be kidding me that nothing else is getting done other than what's in this meeting. Well, <laughs> and the best part is three quarters of the people that are in that meeting are going through the meeting asking themselves, why are they here? Yeah. yeah. And that, that to me is just the kicker because you know, I understand the reason for it because you want communication. Yeah. Everybody wants transparency. Everyone wants to feel included. But over time, you start to realize that you get pulled into a meeting, you listen to stuff that you have no, nothing to contribute to. The knowledge of what they're providing doesn't really help you right now. Again, it would be better delivered in a memo than it would be um, in a meeting. But yeah, you're tying up all this talent. And as the CFO in the room, I could just see you going around and counting the people and counting their you know, what's their dollar per hour in salary <laughs> that you're tying up and going, my God, we're spending $10,000 on a meeting that's going to yeah. accomplish nothing. It's insane. Yeah. The last time I was, be, I was being good the last time I was counting up the hours, <laughs> the man hours and not the, not the man hour dollars. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. The man hour dollars is the one that always scares me because, yeah. you know, some of these meetings, you get some high profile people in there. Yeah. You know, they're, they're making yeah. a lot more than the entry level staff and they're, you know, their time is valuable, uh, more valuable, at least from a dollar per hour standpoint. So it can be rather difficult to, to swallow that, but most people don't realize that that's kind of hidden, hidden costs that a lot of companies don't understand or don't realize they're spending and it's counterproductive to what they're trying to do. Well, you got any other questions or is that it? I think that's the last one on the list there, Dan. (laughs) I don't know. I, I, I think you got skewered pretty good there, but, uh, I think, I think you did. You handled pretty good. <laughs> I held my own. I held my own. You held um, your own. You I'm going to have to drink some tea with honey because my throat's getting kind of scratchy here, but I, I think I there made it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think that brings us to a close. So, uh, Dan, I think that basically we just are answering the question I'm going to ask, which is what's the best way to get a hold of you? But I'm looking at the screen now and saying it's already there. But- yeah, well, you know, not everyone's going to be looking at it on a screen, so I think we should at least tell them. True. But the best way to get a hold of me is danpaulsonletsgo.com. Uh, you can get a hold of me there. Uh, there's a page where you can fill out and, and ask your questions. I'll be happy to set up a meeting with you. And Rich, how about you? I think there's probably maybe a little bit more direct way to get a hold of you. What's your... Yeah. What's your I best the, method? Yeah, I think the best way is just fire off an email to rveltry at veltrygroup.com. That's awesome. One day when I have a shorter email, I'll just do that too. Right now, it's just easier to go to the website. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So that's another episode in the, uh, in the books. And uh, I think that we will uh, wish you all very, very happy holidays. And we will... Uh, Catch you again on the next episode. That sounds awesome. Everyone have a happy holidays, and we will catch you uh, next week. We got uh, we actually have some guests coming in pretty soon here, Rich. That's going to be fun. 
Very cool. Very good stuff coming. All right. Well, we will see you guys later. Take care and have fun. All right. Take care.